Woohoo and yeehaw! <laughs> it is Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. I am super excited. Yeah, baby, yeah! An entire month of cool interviews, amazing insights, low entry breeds, rare breeds, endangered. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Preservation battles. Rare breed enthusiasts are fighting. The work they're doing may very well apply in your own breed. So I hope you'll join us. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, hey crew. New year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive Pure Dog Talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook Live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for owner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming, like what products do I like or anybody else like. Open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a So, just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. 
I'm your host, Laura Reeves, and this is part of our fabulous Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. And I'm very excited to have Judy Duskutner here to talk to us about Barbet the newest introduction to the sporting group. So yay. Welcome, Judy. Thank you for inviting me, Laura. Uh, it's going to be fabulous. So give us a little 411. I love to hear people's stories, how they came to purebred dogs, your background. I know you have involvement in other breeds in addition to Barbet. So let's hear all about it. Well, really, my background when I was young was in horses, although I was dog crazy as well. Probably the horses overshadowed that. And I grew up showing horses on a national level with my parents hauling me all over the country. So that's what I did until I was about 18. Right. So obviously, if you're in the horse world, you see corgis around. Yeah. So that was the first breed I was really interested in with Pembroke Welsh corgis. So I got my first one of those in 1976. We bred her once, but she had a false pregnancy. And so then I got my first show dog, Welsh Corgi, in the mid-80s. And my husband and I bought a pair, and we were going to breed Corgis. And then I showed her, and she was very successful. And then, of course, got sick, had to be spayed, and that was the end of my Corgi program. But in that time, we had gone to a Corgi National where I saw my first Whippet, and that was where I said, Uh, oh, my gosh, this is a breed I have to investigate. And so we got her Whippet soon after that and really had done more with the Whippets. But I never really bred a lot. I just sort of would buy a dog and finish it, and they were just our pets and did other things. And I've shown and finished some Beardies. My sister breeds Spinonis, and I've shown some of those for her. And, you know, we have a lake house in Maryland. And once my husband said, we need a water dog because, you know, whippets and corgis are not exactly fun in the lake. So I had seen a barbet in a book long before that. And at the time I had investigated them somewhat, but there was a barbet club that was in Wisconsin and there were three or four dogs in the country at the time. So obviously I wasn't in a position to import one and I forgot about them. So when my husband said, let's get a lake dog, We were waiting for a litter of labs. I wanted a yellow bitch. They were all black males when it was born. And so I thought, well, let's try a barbet. Isn't that the way that goes? (laughs) Yeah. So I quickly owned a barbet because a woman in Canada who had shown Bichon's had her first litter and she had kept her two best bitches and she was looking for an experienced show home for one of them. And so... I owned a barbet within weeks of that. And it's just (laughs) my intention of having one pet took off in an entirely different direction. Radical and new direction. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I want to make sure I understand and listeners understand your involvement with Whippets is more than just sort of marginal. So share a little bit about some of your recent success. You're allowed to brag. (laughs) My recent success is that I am fortunate friends with Justin and Chesley Smithy. (laughs) And I own a dog who is a litter mate to the father of bourbon and whiskey. Yes. And after whiskey had had his great year in Orlando, and that was just so much fun to be a part of when he won all those best in shows. Right. And Justin said, you should co-own bourbon with us next year. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But, you know, I don't know what we're expecting her to do, but let's do that. And as it's gone on, it's just been beyond anybody's wildest dreams. And I just feel so fortunate to be involved with them. Okay. See, I just want to make people understand that we're not just whippets, we're whippets. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Bourbon is an incredible dog, that's for sure. Absolutely. And huge congratulations. Chesley brings out the best in her. Yes. No doubt about it. She does a great job. Yeah. Okay. So you were involved with the barbet. You have this barbet. Were you involved with bringing them through miscellaneous into AKC recognition? Oh, definitely. Because when I got my barbet, it was 2009. Right. That's what I was just going to ask. Good. Yeah. And another group of people who had a couple barbet had reformed the Barbet Club of America. And so I contacted them and got to know some of them. And really, they were basically people who were just were looking to advance this breed because it's a really neat breed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I have a lot of experience with AKC. I could help out with this. And, you know, I started doing the newsletter and then I was the secretary of the club for quite a while. And then the vice president and then the president. So it was all the steps through of working with AKC and meeting all of their criteria to get the breed into full recognition. Excellent. So, of course, my first question for you on our like list of questions I sent you, can you count how many times you've been asked if it's a doodle? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, it definitely happens, but it's exciting now to have them at the shows and people actually know what they are. Not that we still don't get asked what they are, but some people do know what they are now, and that is definitely growing. But being asked if they're a doodle is a really good gateway to the fact that there is a purebred dog with a lineage that I can trace that is exactly what people are looking for who are buying a doodle. Right. And I think that to me, Barbet, Lagoto, some of these breeds are just perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a predictable dog that you know what you're basically getting when you buy one. Right. Absolutely. Now you said that the history of the Barbet is a little bit distant and cloudy. What can you actually tell us about the breed? Well, I mean, further back, obviously, they share a lot of relations with some of the other curly-coated water dogs in Europe. And definitely, they share a lot with, like, the Portuguese water dogs. And there's some Irish water spaniels. And, like, you can see the Irish water spaniels in some of the lines. Right. A lot of that is just selection of where you're headed with the breed. The Barbet definitely has its own outline that makes it really distinguishable from the other breeds. It's definitely a rectangular dog. Mm Mm-hmm. It's easy to see once you get used to them. I think a lot of people think they just look like something. You know, they're not sure what they are. But <laughs> as we go on in years, I'm sure people will adapt. I don't know very much about them. It's fascinating for me. This is like learning about the breed for me. What were they actually used for? They're a marsh retrievers. Okay. People think they're a water dog that loves to swim. But they're not so swimming as they are, you know, they're really good in the water. Mm. You know, they're pretty strong to go through a marsh area and retrieve a downed bird that way. Okay. Some of them are great swimmers. Some of them don't want to swim at all. But they generally really like water that's a foot or a foot and a half deep. Mm -hmm. And they want to crash around in it. And they've got to have that retrieving drive, right? Like most of the retrieving breeds. Right. But, you know, they're not a really strong driven breed they're certainly not like a field bred labrador or something right they have to think it's a good idea and you have to keep them motivated interesting so let's talk a little bit about like how is it to live with them i mean this is a great opportunity to talk to the public what is it like to live with a barbet how are they to live with i think they are amazing to live with i have 
four bitches that live together and they get along so well. It's not a breed that you have to separate them. Mm. They don't really fight. I could feed them in a group if I wanted to and just, you know, set the food out and they would be fine. The whippets are that way too. Right. So it's a good group of dogs. The corgis, not so much. You couldn't do no, that. No, you can't do that with corgis. <laughs> no, they're, the barbe are very easily trained and then they're quite smart. That sometimes leads to problems with puppy people because they'll be like, oh, your dogs are so good. They just think they're automatically this way. But obviously they need a little direction, but they really are wonderful to live with. They're not nuisance barkers. They just want to be with you and do what you're doing. Wow. I spend a lot of my day just sitting at the table working at the computer. And there's mm-hmm. always just, you know, four dogs laying on the floor around me. If I get up, they go with me. If I come back, they settle right back down. If we go outside, they're bouncing around. They're really a lot of fun to play with outside. Mm-hmm. They're very trainable. I mean, they really are a wonderful dog. Cool. And coat-wise, I mean, you get the predictability of the purebred dog, right? So talk to us. For allergy people, for grooming, I'm assuming this is a poodle coat. It's got to be trimmed, all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's right. It is a hair coat that always is growing and does need to be trimmed. For people with allergies, most of them do quite well with the breed. But of course, you know, there's no such thing as hypoallergenic. And some people are still going to have problems with them. The coat itself can range from a wavy coat to a very tight curl. And each coat probably has its own challenges to live with, but no matter what, it's a high maintenance coat. Keeping it thoroughly combed through to the skin and all the dead hair pulled out is a constant job. So this, I think, is one of the things that's super important for pet owners to understand when they get these breeds, that this is not a breed that gets to be just ignored. You have to trim it. You have to comb it out all the way to the skin, and that If you are not an owner who has the willingness, the time, or the resources to dedicate to this, that as wonderful a breed as it is, it might not be the breed for you. That's absolutely true because unlike my corgis, if I would ignore them, you know, they're just going to get a buildup of hair that eventually is going to fall out anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, that I could pull out really easily. If I ignore a barbet, it's a disaster. And the longer you let it go on, the worse of a problem it is. You know, eventually you're going to spend five days hand picking with a comb through it to try to save it. Or you're going to say, heck with this and just cut it all off. Right. Because it really does require constant maintenance. And that's lifelong. That's not just, you know, through spring growing season or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like It's always growing. It's always falling out. And it always needs to be worked through. Right. And I think that is really, really important for the pet owner to understand. And then talk to us a little bit from the perspective of a show dog, right? So I showed a few Portuguese water dogs. So it sounds to me like their coat type is similar, a curly and a wavy. And those present trimming questions when you're actually showing your dog. Mm -hmm. And for us, all of us in this breed, it is a real learning process that we are still going through because the different coats have different requirements. And you've got a picture in your head of what you want to show these dogs, like the looser coats don't hold a shape like Mm -hmm. the tighter coats do. Mm -hmm. Our standard severely penalizes excessive sculpting. But if you have a really curly coated dog, it kind of looks a little more sculpted, even if you haven't 
touched it with a comb okay. just because of how that's held tight compared to a looser dog. Interesting. We do sometimes hear from the judges of what is it we consider to be over-groomed. Yeah. And that's really a judgment call at this point. You know, it's trying to find the sweet spot of the dog looking competitive in an AKC sporting group. Sure. But still being a rustic breed that is still shown in impeccable condition. Although the coat is one of the defining characteristics of this breed, it still has to have a sound dog underneath it. Right. Have to have running gear. You have to have musculature. You have to have, you know, neck and a shoulder to do all of the things that the breed was designed to do. Exactly. Okay. And you said training, they're pretty quick on the pickup, but not super high drive. Exactly. Yeah. Nice to live with. Health and longevity. You know, not a lot of people have had them. I wish we were a little further down the road and there were people who had bred them for generations. But right. at this point, we're not there. So, you know, based on what we are seeing, they've had just standard health issues of some hips, some eye issues. Mm -hmm. We did all start doing genetic testing on them and discovered that 40% of them were carrying PRCD, PRA. Mm. But fortunately, very, very few carriers had been bred to other carriers when we learned this. So, Oh my gosh. So here's a huge plug for your Embark testing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. It was through Embark testing because we were all testing for the dilution gene because there was a litter born in Canada that unfortunately had three bad alopecia cases in a dilute coat. So that's what we were all looking for. And then we found out about the PRA, but it was just so nice to have known it back then. Yeah. And now it's so easy to work around it when you know what you are working with. So, so absolutely, the genetic testing is huge. That is incredible. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now, when we need it, starting in April, Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders or hop onto their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool, and I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage and take a look at what they have on offer. So you said dilution factor. I've only seen them in black and white. Am I not seeing other colors or are those the only colors they have or supposed to have? Well, black is a really common color. They come in brown and they come in fawn and then they come in a pied variant of those three colors. Okay. So in the standards, it says gray, but really that's just sort of a lesser black. Some of them are a true black and some of them are more of a gray black. 
And so there has to be some kind of a dilution gene in there if you're getting fawns grays like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, very cool. So I think that it is fascinating for John Q. Public to look at these breeds, as you were saying, and say, it looks like and has many of the same features of the Golden Doodle or the Labradoodle you're contemplating purchasing, but the health testing and the consistency and the, you know what I'm saying, those sorts of things. I love to hear your elevator pitch. So the person comes up to you, oh, your doodle is fabulous. And your reaction is? <laughs> you say, this is actually not a doodle, but a breed called the Barbet, which is a French water dog. And that just leads to an entire conversation about how You know, it's a non-shedding hair coat, and it's a really trainable breed of a moderate size that Mm -hmm. is smart and easy to live with. The problem with it is, is they sound like the perfect dog when you do that. Right. We have always had a market for the pet puppies. Like, we started doing Meet the Breeds with AKC in 2010 when it was at the Javits Center. Mm -hmm. And that's all people have to do is walk by and see these Muppet-looking dogs (laughs) and hear about them, and they want one. So in the early years, I think a lot of the dogs were concentrated around New York City just because of meets of breeds. Oh, wow. And then in 2012, because of one of the local dogs up there who did a lot of therapy work, she knew somebody who wrote an article about the breed, and it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And so <laughs> that created a crazy amount of all of us being contacted by people who are like, I want a puppy and I want it shipped on Tuesday. And I mean, there were no dogs around at that time at all. So it was just so amazing. I still will get people contacting me who say, oh, the first time I heard about this breed, I read it in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, wow. That was a big jump for them. Yeah. So that kind of is a perfect segue into my next question, which is how hard is it? I mean, you're trying to build numbers and preserve a rare breed and grow the breed. So how hard is it? I mean, can you find a Barbet puppy if you want one? If you want one now, it's really difficult because the PR that they got at the beginning of the year felt just like when we had that Wall Street Journal article. Mm -hmm. And there just are so few people involved in this breed in a serious way. That's the biggest thing that I would like to see is for some other serious dog people to consider being involved in this breed. Because we get so many contacts for people who want to buy them as family pets, but getting contacted by somebody who's looking for a show dog is a lot more unusual. Yeah. They've been pretty competitive in the miscellaneous and now coming into the sporting group. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, too, the idea of having preservation breeders involved with them. And I say this all the time, we need more dog breeders, just period and across the board. Yeah. But you're saying definitely we need more dog breeders in Barbet. (laughs) (laughs) That's most definitely true because the homes are out there for them. I mean, really wonderful homes are out there that I say no to all the time. And I'm sure other breeders are as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just part of an ongoing conversation that we're having about Why is it that purebred dogs are having such a struggle? Well, here's part of the problem. They want a puppy shipped on Tuesday, and we need more breeders. We need more breeders that can produce puppies that can go into good qualified pet homes. 
But even the people who are perfectly willing to wait, there's just not enough puppies to be born, you know, to be able to keep your COIs low Mm -hmm. and have Mm -hmm. interesting bloodlines that for me are still going to produce the type of dog that I want to show. There just needs to be more of them because certainly I can't produce them all and I don't have any interest in breeding like that, but there needs to be more. Yep. Well, the more that we can do, right, the more we can do to bring people into the sport, I think is beneficial to our rare breeds. It's beneficial to the sport. It's beneficial to everybody. I agree. Absolutely. Okay, so anything else that you would like to share about this charming Muppety breed? I just, I'm saying Muppet, that's it. (laughs) They are cute. It's exactly what they look like. They're so cute. It's true. The black ones are hard to take pictures of. If you get a black one, you have to become a good photographer. Yes. yes. I mean, they are really cute, but there are a lot of work to keep them really cute because, unfortunately, you get a lot of pictures back from pet homes where they're in a really short haircut because they're like, we just find this to be so much work. And I think that's the most important thing I would think, right? I mean, having been a professional groomer and groom doodles mostly, I mean, that was even then, and that was 10 plus years ago, I got an awful lot of doodles. And I used to tell people that I personally had perfected the original golden doodle trim, (laughs) and it was a 40 blade kennel, you know, a 40 kennel with a one inch tail tassel and one inch ear fringes and a pencil thin mustache because they'd Mm. come in felted. Right. It was your only option. And that's so tragic. I mean, there's just no way. Right. That to me makes me so sad. Or you'll have people who say, I want a barbet and I'm always just going to keep it in a shortcut. Well, why get it? Like the hair is so amazing on these dogs. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of Barbé that do therapy work. And if you sit down next to a Barbé, that's all you're going to do is just like work your hand in it the whole time. Like Touch just it. touching them is mm. such a pleasure. So I can't imagine not having the coat on them, but it's work. It is work. And what is, I have seen them and they seem to be carrying a good length of coat. What is the standard that you're looking for to keep them in? The standard does say that it's a long-coated breed. So they should, as a show dog, have a long coat. It's not specified in inches or anything, but it's a profuse coat of curly hair. So definitely you'll see them coming to the show with less hair than is ideal. Okay. Again, it's in its infancy right now. Right. So developing for the show ring, right? Because I know like the water dogs, you have to have exactly... Like if you've put it in a retriever clip, it has to be exactly this long. And if it's a lion trim, it has to be this. And Mm -hmm. so that I think is going to be interesting to watch as the breed develops that as your club pulls that into your standard. Exactly. I know when I look back at pictures from early years, they're definitely haircuts. I wouldn't show them in now. It is a process (laughs) to figure out what we're doing. Awesome. Well, Judy, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us and taking some time to share about this very, very cool breed. Like I said, I didn't know very much. So this was very fun for me to learn about them. Oh, my pleasure. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review.
The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.